Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Yeah, we kick off with uh, sports and politics this morning, pun intended, because... Republican politicians, mainly because we're talking about Florida and Florida State, have infused politics into the selection for the college playoff that happened over the weekend. And, you know, I mean, honestly, because Florida State's not in the top four and they're 13 and 0. Honestly, you know, this is the problem with American culture. Nothing uh, is walled off from politics and and here to show our equanimity, Ooh, equanimity again it's republican that. politicians leading with uh, senator tim scott uh, senator excuse me rick scott from florida he sent a letter three-page letter to uh mr boo corrigan <laughs> who is uh I, be, I guess the chairman of the selection committee oh of course public enemy number one in florida right these uh, 13 mystics that uh, made the selection. So it's it's Michigan, one, versus Alabama, the four seed. It's Washington, two, versus Texas, the three seed. That's the final four. Right. Okay, for those who are not college football fans, as Amy mentioned, Florida State, Power 5 Conference, went 13-0 and and was frozen out. Alabama has a loss. Texas has a loss. They won uh, their conferences as well, conference championship games they're in. And so the hue and cry. You know, it would have helped the situation if my Iowa Hawkeyes would have beaten Michigan, but we couldn't even score a point. So yeah, worst, that didn't uh, happen. I know. Worst ten and two team going into that game okay, in college you know football what? history. It's fine. Nobody. We I mean, uh, it's too embarrassing. Honestly, oh, that Iowa offense is so embarrassing, and it, well, it, it's not just embarrassing. It's Michigan next year. So yeah, it was, it was just Big Ten, but the Big Ten is terrible. I'm, Alabama's going to beat Michigan, but I digress. That's true. I agree um, with you on that. So, so three-page letter, and he's demanding, <laughs> Senator demanding. Scott is demanding, I request you immediately respond to this letter with the following. He's got, like, a, a number of items, the listing step and ranking step votes of each member uh, on uh, Sunday, any notes, oh recordings, God. reports detailing what? the deliberations of the selection committee, any emails, text messages, oh. other written communications exchanged between members of the selection committee, any emails, <laughs> Text messages, written communication exchange between members of the selection committee, and clothes uh, you were wearing at the time that you made the decision. Company officers, board management, any emails. I mean, it just goes on and on, like uh, a request in the context of legal action. uh, You know, discovery request in the context of legal action from a sitting United States senator in Florida. That could be next three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. Our text line is up and running right now, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. 
Well, I mean, it, it could be happening next because DeSantis said last night he was proposing to set aside a million dollars in his upcoming budget recommendations in case there is any litigation surrounding this. I'm not saying there's going to be. They're looking at it. I don't think this has spoken well for college football. So everybody's got to get in on it. You know, <laughs> can't they just expand it to eight games instead of four or four well, eight that, teams that, instead of four? So so that's happening next year, okay. and and then you're going to have the same argument about the top eight versus the ninth team that was left out. It's never going to end. You have a March Madness that has 64 teams, well, with two playing games now, 66 teams, and you still argue about who was left out. It's always going to be somebody gets left out. The idea that this is uh, this should fall under the purview of the United States Senate, of the federal government, even the state government. I get everybody wants to. You know, in Florida, you got to, you know, you got to wave your Florida state flag in this instance. But but setting aside money, uh, setting aside the time to what to call together information related to the deliberations of the selection committee. All you have to do to understand the arguments that were going on in that room is watch if you can stand it, which I can't. Any of these infernal, indistinguishable shows on ESPN that spent all day yesterday, all day Sunday, and then all day yesterday talking about it, making the argument for Alabama, making the argument for Florida State. Here's my argument against Florida State in one statistic, one number. Okay, what? 13 and a half. 13 and a half is the spread between Georgia and Florida State. Georgia is favored by 13 and a half over Florida State in the bowl game they're going to play. They, the the problem Florida State had, they lost their starting quarterback. Right, Travis, they were down to their fourth string against Louisville. Uh, they you know eked out that ugly 16-6 win on Sunday uh, over Louisville, on Saturday actually after over Louisville, and um, and so I think the selection committee, it's a controversial choice. I get it. Uh, you know the SEC's always got to have somebody in. I, I get I get the arguments, but. Uh, they just looked at Florida State and said, without the starting quarterback, Florida State is not competitive with these other three finalists, and so we're going to go with Alabama. Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey Dub Pro answer. Like Georgia, I mean, they lost well, obviously to Alabama. That's why they're out. But they had a great record. They had a great year. I think they're better than Michigan, don't you? Well, the, but it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no argument for Georgia when you don't win your well, conference championship. Mark on the South Side, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Oops. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Dan, I heard you mention money. I don't know if it's fair that Bama's in and Florida State's out, but it's all about the money. Bama's a big draw. Either half of the country hates them and half of the country loves them, and it's about the money. They're going to be a big draw for that game. Probably be one of the most watched games there is because they're going to be rooting against Alabama, and that's what I think it's about, the money. Well, it's always about the money to some extent, but Florida State's not like some – uh, you know, backwater program nobody's ever heard of. I mean, they haven't been in this position in a while, but, but I mean, Florida State is a premier program. Florida's a big state. It's a big market. Um, if they were going to be competitive, I mean, it's the Florida State has as much national cachet or more than Washington. Um, but Washington was deserved to get in, but but right, I mean but they're not a national. I mean they're national so, obviously, but it's not like a draw like Alabama. The the other thing saying oh it's all about the money. All, all these these politicians too. They said I'm hearing that from Florida politicians too. Republicans now I'm criticizing. Oh it's all about the money, right? Well it's always about the money, but but these is this is part of the same crew that green lights 
all of the federal support for colleges and uh, and when you're talking about uh, state universities, uh, taxpayer subsidy of coaches making millions and millions of dollars, uh, the paying of players and professionalizing college sports. Oh, and now we're going to decry that money's involved in in college football. Right. Come on. Give me a break. Um, on the give me a break front, too. Trump weighed in. Oh, he did? Florida State was treated very badly by the committee. They became the first Power 5 team to be left out of the college football playoffs. Really bad lobbying effort. Let's blame DeSanctimonious. I mean, uh, come on. Are you serious? How ridiculous. Yeah, Ron DeSantis has nothing to do with that. It's his fault Florida State didn't get the nod on Sunday. I mean, all of this, but the the politicking with sports. I mean, it's that's why sports has become so unwatchable for for me. But not even at the, the games. Level, though, really, you can't keep politics out of it. ESPN can't. Um, many of the announcers can't. Many of the colleges can't. It's not as bad as the pros, but it's the same dynamic that that uh, you know, turned me off of the NFL, the NBA, to some extent, Major League Baseball. I mean, just can can can, uh, can politicians just resist the temptation? These are supposedly conservatives that have an appreciation for limited government and um, and and an understanding that restraint needs to be exercised. And you really you want to get involved in the in the selection of the final four for the college football playoff. I, I just find it embarrassing. Um, on a good news front in sports and politics, just updating the story we brought you last week. What? And uh, for which I wrote a commentary at, over at my counterculture blog that you can check out if you like. It's very good. I want to uh, spend more time with you. Where do I find it? Uh, my counterculture yes. podcast, YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, Apple. Okay. Uh, the American Greatness website, amgreatness.com. The appearance of one Holden Armenta, this is the nine year. We, we finally got his age. He's nine years old. Okay. Nine years old. Yeah, he didn't so, look like he was five. The nine year old fan, Kansas City Chiefs fan, who painted his face half red, half black, and then got attacked by this goof at Deadspin for somehow being uh, both. Uh, uh, racist against blacks and Native Americans, even though it turns out that he has Native American heritage. Well, now they're talking about um, they've hired attorneys and they're looking at suing the publisher of Deadspin, a la Nick Sandman. And I hope they do. I, I actually hope I absolutely hope they do. And I'm I'm surprised that uh, Karen Phillips over at Deadspin hasn't taken out over Florida State saying, uh, you know, he, uh, you're raising the bar. Instead of going after toddlers, he can go after college kids now because Florida State has an offensive mascot. Florida State fans do that tomahawk chop, so they don't deserve to be in the Final Four just because of that. I was waiting for that column, and I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and they wear face paint, too. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. 
Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the uh, fever dream of the left that uh, Trump is a dictator in waiting. And again, if he were to win re-election in 2024, that would be the end of Republic of the Republic, and maybe end times. No, there's going to be a dictatorship. It's going to be over. I have people, they just, it keeps escalating more and more and more every day, that our democracy is in peril if President Trump wins again. Uh, Oklahoma Republican uh, Senator Jim Langford was on with Clinton Foundation Donor Zero on this week on Sunday. And um, Molly Hemingway actually brought this to my attention with a piece she wrote for The Federalist. Really a weak performance from Langford. I mean, this is a senator from a state that Trump won 65% of the vote in in 2020. Conservative state, Oklahoma. I don't know if you've heard. And this is the weak tea you get from Jim Langford in response to the kitchen sink propaganda from a lifetime dem operative masquerading as a journalist or commentator you know objective commentator you know just a show host uh, asking the tough questions of both sides right none of that happens on the sunday talk shows so i don't even know why some of these people aren't running for office i mean running for president and looking to have a moment in exchange to fire up the base why, why even bother especially if you're going to cower in the face of the silliness from Stephanopoulos the way Langford did. Listen to the first two minutes of this interview where Stephanopoulos, knowing what he had in Langford, tries to corner him on Trump. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. Senator Langford, thank you for joining us this morning. I want to get to the war and the negotiations over border security and foreign aid, but first, uh, your party's leading candidate for president was on the stump yesterday repeating lies about the 2020 election. He's called those convicted in the January 6th insurrection hostages. He faces 91 separate felony counts himself. He's raised the prospect of executing the former chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and terminating parts of the Constitution. In the face of all that and more, are you prepared to support Donald Trump if he's your party's nominee? Yeah, we haven't had a single vote yet, George. Uh, this is still... Uh, weeks and weeks away from our first votes that are happening actually in Iowa, then New Hampshire and South Carolina. And there are a lot of people who are going to make that decision. That's not going to be me making that decision. That's going to be the American people that actually make that decision. 
Well, that's going to be Republican primary voters. You're a Republican senator, and I'm asking for your opinion. Given that record of Donald Trump, are you prepared to support him if he's the nominee of your party? I have not I have not actually endorsed anyone uh, for president this time, and I didn't uh, during the 2016 time period either. And so I've stayed out of this. Again, that's going to be Republican voters and the American people that are going to make that decision in the primary. And then in November, it'll be American voters as well. Uh, the challenge right now is Americans are trying to be able to get information, trying to be able to make decisions, and they're going to make their own decisions on that. That's who we are right, as I, Americans. I, I, Right. I understand that, but I'm asking what your decision is. You're an elected official. You're a Republican Party official. I'm asking, can you support Donald Trump as the nominee, given his record? Yeah, if he ends up being the nominee, and I've got a choice between Donald Trump and Biden, I've got a choice between two different sets of policies, two different sets of ideas, two different ways to handle the economy, two different ways to be able to handle energy, two different ways to handle foreign policy, immigration. When I've got two sets of policies uh, between me, that is not a hard choice between those two sets of policies that would actually face us when we get to that November time period. And if that ends up being the choice of the American people in both of those primaries, that two different sets of policies is not difficult for me because I've seen the difference between what happens at the border and security, what happens into our economy, what happens in foreign policy. Americans have seen a side by side on that. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. How do you think Jim Langford did there? Uh, maybe this is why conservatives are so exasperated with congressional Republicans, generally speaking, even the, con the so-called conservatives. Maybe this is why there's uh, a uh, turnout gap among Republicans when Trump is on the ballot versus when he's not. Because of feeble efforts like the one you just heard from Jim Langford, where he has to be backed into a corner to basically say, I'll support the nominee. Where even at that point, he can't bring himself to say Trump. But there's no pushback. There's no pushback to that riff that Clinton Foundation donor zero, which, by the way, is how he should be addressed. You know, before it was Biden Incorporated, it was Clinton Incorporated running the same influence peddling scam that the Biden administration did and for a lot bigger dollars. Right, George? No, but we're going to uh, uh, pretend that Stephanopoulos is as operating on the level and we're going to come here and uh, try to middle the position between Stephanopoulos and Trump. And I don't care if Langford was supporting DeSantis or something like that. It's the line of propaganda from the left. Do you want to understand why people don't get fired up to vote the party label? It's because of uh, small men, at least in that moment. I haven't always thought that about Langford, but at least in that moment, like Langford, let me give you a, what he could have said. And right. Molly Hemingway this has it. Oh, sorry. Go on. Mo Molly Hemingway. Uh, I can't do better than her. Here's what he could have said. First off, George, your audience should know you just regurgitated back a diatribe of lies, mistruths, and Democrat propaganda. I'm not surprised, given your professional background and track record of maliciously pushing the false and dangerous Russian collusion scam for so many years during and after the 2016 election. But I can't allow your lies to go uncorrected. The public knows full well there were major issues in how the 2020 election was conducted. 
from Mark Zuckerberg's $400 million on partisan get-out-the-vote efforts in key swing states, the deliberate Hunter Biden laptop suppression that major news outlets and tech companies, along with 51 intel officers, participated in, to the tens of millions of mail-in ballots and voting changes that did not follow state law. So drop the dishonest, holier-than-thou nonsense about 2020 being the cleanest, most perfect election with nothing allowed to be scrutinized or discussed. Second, the public is also wising up to the fact that the corporate media have spun to them uh, about uh, what the corporate media spun to them about Jan 6 hasn't exactly been the complete truth. Yes, we know you're lying. That was the worst moment in the history of the world, requiring our FBI to do nothing other than arrest people who were anywhere near the event. Well, that and arrest pro-lifers who are praying and parents who are attending school board meetings. But most Americans know that we have not gotten good answers about why Pelosi turned down the security provisions ahead of what Intel suggested would be a very contentious day or what exactly was being done by the federal informants and federal agents who were present for the day's events. They're extremely worried about how left-wing rioters and criminals seem to be able to do whatever they want with very few repercussions, even when they're attacking the Supreme Court, federal courthouses, the White House, churches, homes, and police precincts. And now with the release of some of the videotapes from that day, we see most of the activity that day was not in any way what it was hyped up to be and presented by the Democrats' Jan 6 show trial. And it, it, she goes on from there, but you get a sense of it. Right. That's, but, that's, that's, that's getting on offense and not allowing the American people to be gaslit by these gas bags on Sunday talk shows he, like Stephanopoulos. And here's the thing, guys, in case you don't know, they know who they're booking. They need to book Republicans who are leery of Trump to win their case, to try to. To try to persuade the American people, oh, look, look, not all the Republicans are are backing Trump. So we're going to book this senator who's on the Homeland Security Committee to come on our show to push our agenda, to say, you know, in a really Trump is bad. But even though he didn't come out and say it, but he was very squishy. He reminded me a lot of Mitt Romney. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, although Romney wouldn't even give well, him what Langford did at the end of that uh, riff, but Langford apparently wants to stay a senator of Oklahoma, unlike Romney did. Uh, yeah, but 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 you don't have to like Trump. You don't have to agree with what he said here or did there. But to allow that line of bull jive mm-hmm. to go unchallenged when you have an opportunity to challenge it is cowardice and political malpractice. Got there's, there's way too much of that in the Republican Party. Got a great text message. Dan and Amy, when you hear Democrats say Trump's reelection would mean the end of our democracy, they're correct. It would mean the end of their version of democracy, which is Marxism and socialism. And, you know, this is this is at the same time that Liz Cheney is running around uh, touting this new book that she wrote again, uh, parroting the line of the left about end times if Trump is reelected. This is what she said on Good Morning America with Savannah Guthrie this week. We will be voting on whether to preserve our republic in the next election. You think this is a vote about whether or not we still have democracy in this country? It certainly is. You know, and and Donald Trump has told us exactly what he will do. He will not abide by the rulings of the courts. Uh, He uh, will certainly appoint people to office whether or not they can be confirmed by the Senate. Um, He uh, has talked about using the military uh, in terms that... Uh, really are fundamentally un-American, including here in the United States. So it's a very dangerous moment, and it's a moment for people to understand that 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 cannot be the path that we go down as a country. What is she talking about? I I don't know. Using the military for events Uh, here in the United States. What? Like what? uh, Press uh, her, Savannah. Follow through. Appointing people to the the government that won't be confirmed by the Senate. What does that mean? (laughs) I don't even know what that means. 
You have to have Senate confirmation. Yeah, or or, Hello? or, or gonna... if if you don't get Senate confirmation, you know, you can have somebody be in an acting position for a time. But in, but but administrations of both sides have have done that little dance. Right. But but I mean, I'm sorry. What was Ka- times. Ka- Kavanaugh and um, uh, Amy Coney Barrett? Um, these these Supreme Court justices they were they were approved by the Senate, right? right. They went through that confirmation yeah, yeah. We watched proceeding. The hearings, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Gorsuch, yeah, we were we were there. We saw all three. The great irony of this is the actual criticism of Trump on the substance, at least from my perspective, from the conservative perspective. But I guess you know we're all just insurrectionists now. Is that he was too conventional when he got in, not rhetorically, but in substantively that he wasn't aggressive enough. That he wasn't focused enough when he needed to be triangulating Republicans who were recalcitrant when it came to funding border wall construction, like the then House Speaker Paul Ryan. That he didn't play hardball enough at times. He didn't go after Comey and remove him as head of FBI soon enough. He didn't remove a career bureaucrat, Tony Fauci, soon enough. He was not the bull in the China shop. Rhetorically, yes. Substantively, not always. In fact, uh, to his detriment and to the country's detriment, well within his constitutional powers, he wasn't enough of the time. That's the actual criticism. Meanwhile, we know what's going on on the left. A little bit more from Cheney, because here it is. Here's the vote. Okay. The vote, uh, the choice in 2024 is Trump. If Trump is the Republican nominee, it's Trump or the Constitution. You said fundamentally there's a choice to be made. You can't be both for Donald Trump and for the Constitution. You have to choose. Yeah. A vote for Donald Trump is unconstitutional, anti-American. Well, he won't he won't support and uphold the Constitution. We've already seen what happened. Uh, He is the only president in American history who attempted to overturn an election, who attempted to seize power, to stay in power after he had lost. Um, And the reason Um, Al Gore challenged the outcome of the 2000 election. Hillary Clinton still hasn't conceded, nor has Stacey Abrams. Yeah, but but, I mean, Al Gore formally challenged in courts of law the outcome of the 2000 election and he lost. Trump formally challenged the outcome of the 2020 election in courts of law and he lost. You don't have to tell me about hanging chads. What's the difference other than rhetoric? And, And by the way, Liz Cheney, just to show... You know, the classic case, right? It's like Kinzinger. Once you uh, throw in with the Democrats, then you're with them for everything because that's how your bread gets buttered. You can't just be with us on Trump. You also have to vote for big spending. You also have to vote, you know, start saying middling things about guns and so on and so forth. You need to come all the way over if we're going to enlist you know, our friends in uh, all these cultural institutions to make you rich. And so no problem. Liz Cheney can do that. Can America survive Donald Trump? That, that's a really the, the notion that we would be OK, I think, is is naive, because if you look at, for example, the Republicans who are in control of Congress today, um, they are, are collaborating with Donald Trump. Uh, you cannot count on a House of Representatives led by somebody like Mike Johnson to stop this president. You can't count on a Senate of Josh Hawley's and Mike Lee's to stop Donald Trump. Now, Mike Lee is a threat to our democracy and Josh really? Hawley is. Two constitutional lawyers and Mike Johnson, who she served with for uh, her time in the House, uh, has now he's all of a sudden metastasized into a threat to our democracy, too. Right. Everybody, despite the fact that the left has control of the deep state, 
of the civil service, of all of our cultural and civic institutions, somehow Trump gets reelected and every he just rolls over everybody else. They have the control of the military, for God's sakes. But in this this fever dream of Liz Cheney and uh, and some uh, spineless Republicans like Jim Lankford, somehow he uh, proposes or uh, uh, presents this existential threat where all of those institutional interests just fall by the wayside and he anoints himself king for life. And we're supposed to take this seriously, despite the fact we have a four year track record. And despite what actually is going on on the left right now, the censorship industrial complex that Taibbi and Schellenberger have been reporting about that we've done as best as we can to try to amplify. And conservative media isn't doing enough on that topic, in my uh, estimation. Of course, the D.C. press corps isn't doing anything, but that's purposeful. That's the difference. The um, weaponizing of the FBI. There's a new memo from the House Weaponization Committee about the FBI's targeting of Catholics, where they were uh, in, they they interviewed priests and a choir director, in a, you know worried about these uh, these uh, strange birds in the Catholic Church that go to the Latin Mass. And, and Merrick Garland presents before a Senate committee, and he's all indignant. Oh, I'm so I'm as outraged as you are. Not to mention uh, everything they're doing under the auspices of saving the planet. You've got uh, Horseface over there in Dubai right now prattling on about end days. And if we don't regulate your dishwasher and washing machine and water heater, and if we don't force you to buy a $90,000 EV and so on and so forth. Right. They're not authoritarians. The, the ones that are engaged in authoritarian practice. The authoritarian is the guy who runs his mouth on his social media site. Just unbelievable. Alex and Hinsdale. Hi, good morning, guys. This is a great topic. I'm glad you have it. Um, it's rich for Liz Cheney to sit on MSNBC and talk about an anti-democratic person her January 6th committee was led by Thompson, who never, he voted against the uh, the election of Donald Trump on the House floor. He was an election denier. Yeah, Benny Thompson, and right. Mm-hmm. And, and I find it ironic that Liz Cheney and the philosopher kings of our day, uh, to quote uh, Plato from the Republic, they have a problem with democracy they don't want the populace because they know better than us to have a vote. If they're so, if they believe in democracy, then they should have no concern that the the person that the majority wants electorally will will win. That's Thanks for the what, call, Alex. We got to go, but uh, yeah, no, that's the point. The left is attempting to save democracy from the people. Work the logic of that. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook. Or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 
I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, This uh, speech from Senator Durbin, Saka Durbin, our senior senator here in Illinois, making the rounds yesterday. I don't know. I mean, it's a surprise, I guess, to most of the rest of the country, because why would you pay attention to Dick Durbin unless you had to? So we have. So it's no surprise to us, as we'll get to. But uh, Durbin and Duckworth, because it's her legislation, as you'll hear him describe, has a plan. It's a nice twofer. We'll both solve the issue of uh, mass illegal migration into our country and the recruiting problems the armed services are having in one false swoop. Take a listen. Presiding officer, my colleague from the state of Illinois, has legislation which addresses one aspect of that. Her bill, and I hope I describe it accurately, says that if you are an undocumented person in this country, and you can pass the physical and the required test, background test, the like. You can serve in our military, and if you do it honorably, we will make you citizens of the United States. Do we need that? Do you know what the recruiting numbers are at the Army and the Navy and the Air Force? They can't reach their quotas each month. They can't find enough people to join our military forces. And there are those who are undocumented who want the chance to serve and risk their lives for this country. Should we give them the chance? I think we should. What do you think? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, I'm speechless right now. <laughs> um, for, well, first they wanted them to be officers. Remember Chicago police officers or state troopers or Cook County Sheriff's deputies? And now they want them to serve in our military? If they're here illegally. So they they committed a crime by getting to this country. And now they want them if, you know, and then if they they do a good job, if you do well, we'll make you an American citizen. Right. Is this a clown world we're living in? We have a recruitment problem. We have a uh, border security problem. We have a migrant problem. This solves both in one fell swoop, as I said. Right. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. I don't know why people, I mean, I, I don't know why people in Illinois would be surprised by the posture of Durbin and Duckworth, for that matter, but um, I'm confident the Dreamers will soon have the chance to serve honorably in the armed forces. On that day, America will be a stronger and better country. 
That was Dick Durbin in 2014. So he's been beating this drum for a while. Of course he has. Of course he has. Of course, all these Illinois Pauls have. Where have you been? Oh, I I know where the people have been. They've been electing and reelecting them. That's where they've been. And now some of those same people are going to feign outrage? Okay. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. All right, fine. Uh, Plead ignorance. Ignorance of your political... uh, Ignorance of political consequences doesn't absolve you of responsibility. Sort of corollary uh, corollary to ignorance of the law doesn't insulate you from consequences. But, uh, yeah, all right. Well, how about looking for, you know, the reasons for the recruitment problem first, then address that issue first and try and start there. Well, the reasons for the recruitment problem are the Democrats and politicizing the armed services. So they can't very well talk about that. We'll just solve the problem. And this is a great twofer for us because we look like we're solving a problem that we created and we're getting the people that came into this country illegally uh, to citizenship, which is what we want, so that we can claim credit for them. We're the reason you're here and now you're and get to stay. And so now you're a loyal constituent. And comments like that, because people are listening, our enemies are listening, and people who are thinking about, oh, should I go, should I cut, that incentivizes them to come to America. I could just see the conversations right now. Honey, I'm going to go. You and the kids stay here. I'm going to go. I'm going to be, you know, sneak in illegally. I'll become, you know, I'll join the military. I'll become a citizen, and then I'll bring you and the rest of the family over. Well, I mean, for... um the untrained ear, people say, well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to come to this country and they're good people and they want to be an American and they want to work and, and they're happy to serve our country if that provides a pathway to them. And they, they could turn out to be great Americans. And many people have served in our military who were undocumented and they're great Americans uh, or they're great people. Um, and uh, that's true. That's true. But the problem with that logic, because that's the argument you're going to hear from proponents of this. It's the sentimentalist argument. Yeah, what do you why are you demonizing good people? I'm not. I can see the point. There are many good people that come to this country illegal, otherwise good people. Um, there are also many people that come to this country and they set up a burglary ring in Lake County, like three Colombians did. You see it's a mixed bag, which is which is why I continue to try to to keep everybody's feet planted on terra firma, which is what we should do. It's a mixed bag, which is why there needs to be a process so you can separate the people that want to come here and set up a burglary ring targeting Asian business owners in Lake County from the people who want to build a life for themselves in America, assimilate and contribute to the greatness of the country. You see the difference? Yeah, you see the problem we have? in the face for the people. Like, I have Argentinian friends who came here legally. I have friends from Serbia who came here legally and eventually became citizens. And we celebrated when they became American citizens, and they worked so hard. And then you had this, this crap. Well, here's the other thing about this. Um, oh, by the way, military service is a privilege, not a right. Oh, Just ask uh, all the young men who can't qualify for the armed services because they can't meet the physical requirements mm-hmm. or because they have a criminal record. And so now think about that. So if you're an American and you got, uh, you know, hit with a, a drug possession charge, you're you're not going to be in serving in the military. But if you came here illegally, which is a crime, then we're going to look the other way because we have a recruitment issue. 
So an American who has uh, a, a, a you know a, a blot on his criminal record is bounced, but a foreign national isn't. It, it used to be Democrats were just treating foreign nationals like they were citizens. Mm-hmm. Now it's actually prioritizing foreign nationals over citizens. Mac in the 219, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. First of all, anything that comes out of Dick Durbin's mouth that he wants to do, I don't want to have anything to do with. Secondly, if your first move to help the United States of America is to break the law, I want to do less with you. And third, all you dorks from Illinois with your Illinois plates coming into my beloved state of Indiana, get the hell out of here. We don't want you here. Go to Iowa, try to find Amy's relatives, and live in their garage. But stay out of Indiana, you morons from Illinois. We do not want you. Well, uh, Mac, I appreciate your uh, Hoosier passion. But uh, let's remember, um, the people that are fleeing Illinois for places like Northwest Indiana, Tennessee, Texas, South Carolina, Florida, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, and so on and so forth. Uh, The people fleeing are, by and large, people with a center-right perspective who are not criminally insane. So they're going to add to the rich tapestry of Northwest Indiana on balance. So just keep that in mind. If you're fleeing, that means, you know, you've sort of gotten hip to the reality of what's going on, and you're not a fan. And you don't have to go to Utah. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Just in case. Places closer to Illinois. Pat Lockport. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, To begin with, Durbin is nothing but a complete moronic ass. And furthermore, why are our military numbers down? How many thousands were dismissed because they wouldn't take the death jab because of a mandate and not a law? Right. That's another reason. Yeah. And then how many people have lost faith in our military because of the BS that they foisted on our service people? That man is out of his cotton picking mind. You take a lawbreaker, like you just said, Dad, and put it into the military to defend us? What are the you? What the hell are you drinking? Give me some because I got to get on board with this. Thanks for the call, Pat. I mean, if they're uh, not from here, are they going to give their whole heart? I mean, are they going to? I don't know. It's a, it's just they shouldn't be in that position anyway. It, it, it's it's not it's not it's not to, to make a categorical statement. I, I'm sure some would and some have. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. That doesn't win the argument because you have all this other collateral damage that you're not considering, which is why very simple. There has to be processes not a revolutionary idea very basic but sentimentality overwhelms the good sense of men and women on the left bill malugan is at the border where he uh, can often be found fox news reporter does really good reporting at the border well, yeah the hot spot now is lukesville uh lukeville, lukeville arizona yeah which is um uh as malugan reported the area sees thousands of illegal crossings daily from around the globe part of the Tucson sector, saw a record-setting 17,500 illegal crossings last week. Yeah, just last week, guys, 17.5K. You know what you need down there? You need to get some armed services recruiting tables set up.
Oh, there you go, Dan. Process them right in. And they're coming here. I mean, Governor Abbott, just in Texas, that's not Arizona, but in Texas, they're sending 20,000 more here to Chicago. Perfect. That's enough enough, guys. Perfect timing. Yeah, we could set up an Army recruitment, the Marines, yeah. We're getting our act together here. Base camps are moving. Maybe SpaceX, you know, they could join that. Carl and Marionette Park. Morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, There's so much to absorb. You've said so much, and it really gets my blood pressure going through the roof. I just wanted to make a comment about uh, that nasty Dick Durbin and his sidekick, Duck Wakeless. And they... I recently read an article it was from August of 2021, and Devin uh, blocked uh, uh, Freedom of Information Act about the flights uh, to Epstein's Island. We want to know who the pedophiles are, and Devin is protecting them. Devin has no morals, no character, no value, no integrity, and I don't know why people keep re-electing him. He's nothing but a piece of garbage. I just had to get this off my chest, and Amy, thank you for taking my call. Anything to relieve your blood pressure? Thanks oh for the call, Carl. If, if you yeah, look, why, why, the, wait, wait, where's okay. the Chicago Press Corps asking about uh, Durbin's uh, proposal? Yeah. Well, well, his his obstinance when it comes to unearthing Epstein-related files, since he was uh, a known trafficker of young girls. We, it is curious. So, what? Why? Who's being protected? Since we have Ghislaine Maxwell in jail, Jeffrey Epstein in hell, and no clients. Why, why is he blocking the Epstein flight logs? I don't know. Ashley Southside. Simple question to ask. Hi. Um, I'm actually running against Robin Kelly for the second congressional House seat. And I have a sister who's in the Navy and a brother who just recently um, got out of the Air Force. I would never vote to allow illegals to serve in such a prestigious way as in our United States military. Now, if you want to come here legally and do it, absolutely. If you want to serve the country and prove that you actually love this this country and want to be here, of course, but absolutely not. We should not be promoting bad behavior and that the allocation of resources, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't balance out. Uh, Ashley, uh, Ashley Ramos, right? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Well, I just might get your full name out there for people that might be interested in your candidacy. Ashley Ramos, Southside, Second Congressional District, running against Robin Kelly. Thanks, Ashley. Oh, Robin. Oh. Uh, yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, I don't even want to. Uh, Part of the wonderful power structure. Wow. I mean, just. Yeah. Every press conference I'd go to, I just sit there like dumbfounded more and more each time. She 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 may wow repla- she may replace Durbin. Oh, she's but, not. There's no way. I, oh, well, you, oh, sure. There's a way. I mean, well, he's not running again, and she, I think she's going to make an effort. Sure. Who else is going to run? John and Elmhurst. Kwame Raul. Oh. Yeah, Kwame Raul could be one. It'll be it might be crowded at least initially. Go ahead, John. Well, I I think uh, it's not just what I think. It's clearly that. They hate us. The not just the Democrats, uh, but the uh, the politicians, but the environmentalists. Uh, and if they don't hate us, there's great disdain. And then everybody else in government and politics is just concerned about their pensions and their salary. Period. Thanks for the call, John. Catherine, formerly of DuPage County. Good morning, and to the Indiana guy. 
I made an intentional decision to become a Hoosier. So, uh, uh, white flag up. Um, my son is a Marine stationed overseas, and he's uh, putting his uh, his plan together to escape and get out of there because it's so awful right now. There's standards, but the standards are not held up. There's obese people that you wonder how they've made uh, the, the uh, physical exams, how they've passed them, the what all they have to do like on a monthly basis. So they're just doubling down on stupid with continuing to destroy the military that you know that is there for us for our for our protection. Thanks for the call, Catherine. Chris, Lake Zurich. Yeah, hey Dan, this is Chris Wagner from Lake Zurich. Hey, my son, my son to join the army just uh, just a little over a year ago. They made him jump through so many hoops. He had to clean up his credit record. He had to take care of all of his legal matters, right down to the right down to traffic tickets before they would accept him. And this guy wants to just let them in after they've crossed the border illegally. That's about the sum of it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the call, Chris. That's the size of it with uh, our very own Sack of Durbin. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Should uh, Speaker Johnson, Mike Johnson, should he move forward with the impeachment inquiry? He says he has the votes. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Should Republicans be sensitive about the politics, or should they move forward in the direction of the evidence? Jim Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, provided an update yesterday about said evidence. Take a listen. President Joe Biden claimed there was an absolute wall between his official government duties and his family's influence peddling schemes. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed his family didn't receive money from China. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed he never spoke to his son, Hunter Biden, about the Biden's family's shady business dealings. This was a lie. Now, Hunter Biden's legal team and the White House's media allies claim Hunter's corporate entities never made payments directly to Joe Biden. We can officially add this latest talking point to the list of lies. Today, the House Oversight Committee is releasing subpoenaed bank records that show Hunter Biden's business entity, a Wasco PC, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account, but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world. At this moment, Hunter Biden is under an investigation by the Department of Justice for using a Wasco PC for tax evasion and other serious crimes. And based on whistleblower testimony, we know the Justice Department made a concerted effort to prevent investigators from asking questions about Joe Biden. I wonder why. The more we learn, it appears the Justice Department was trying to cover up for the Bidens until brave IRS whistleblowers came forward and a federal judge rejected the sweetheart plea deal. Payments from Hunter's business entity to Joe Biden are now part of a pattern 
revealing Joe Biden knew about, participated in, and benefited from his family's influence peddling schemes. When Joe Biden was vice president, he spoke by phone, attended dinners, and had coffee with his son's foreign business associates. He allowed his son to catch a ride on Air Force Two at least a dozen times to sell the Biden brand around the world. Hunter Biden requested office keys to be made for his office mate, Joe Biden, in space he planned to share with a Chinese energy company. We've revealed how Joe Biden received checks from his family that were funded by the Biden's influence peddling schemes with China, no less. The House Oversight Committee continues to investigate Joe Biden's involvement in his family's domestic and international business schemes at a rapid pace. We will continue to uncover the facts and provide transparency about the findings of our investigation. The uh, monthly payments, that news that broke over the weekend that Comer referred to. The uh, Amazon Post reported that they were for a Ford Raptor owned by Joe and used by Hunter. And that it was a $4,000 a month car payment. So, really, so um, you're going to make your son make monthly payments on a truck you own? See, that doesn't make sense. Or this is just another conduit to funnel money to the big guy, Mr. 10%. Comer said... It doesn't. Uh, he said it's unclear if that's true, but he says it doesn't matter from our perspective. There's now a pattern of members of the Biden family using their bank accounts that have been funded by Chinese interests and other foreign entities to send money to Joe Biden. Right. So you know, it's the the, the, the using loans, using vehicles. I mean, I don't know, but um, the response from the uh, Democrat socialists that there's no there there that there's no evidence. I mean, if this was um, a criminal proceeding or even a civil proceeding in a court of law, this is a lot of evidence. This is a lot of circumstantial evidence that demands certain questions be asked and answered. And in the context of impeachment, which is a political proceeding, that is also certainly the case. Johnson says Speaker Johnson says he has the votes to launch an impeachment inquiry and he's going to schedule a floor vote before Christmas. Any concerns about that? Are you you worried as some, oh, well, we want Joe Biden to be the nominee, so let's tread lightly and so on and so forth. Do you want to play politics with this, or do you want to go as fast as you can in the direction of the evidence, in following the smoke, as it were? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro and text line. Just on a you know ancillary issue, 4000 a month, isn't that a lot for a car payment loan? I mean, normally isn't it four hundred, six hundred dollars a month, not four thousand uh, dollars? You know, I mean, it adds up. It's maybe the big guy couldn't change. put a lot of money down. On oh, it. well. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he got a bad deal uh, with his uh, financing. He should got. They should have gone to Wilkins Mazda. Yeah, that's uh, there. Yeah. You go and have some balance <laughs> of nature on their way. Yes, come right. on. Um, so, why the impeachment inquiry? Just a reminder here. Uh, Bill McGurn uh, had a good piece in the journal about this uh, McGurn writing. I'll just cite him because he's stated it quite succinctly. Although Congress enjoys subpoena power, that must be used for a legislative purpose. A subpoena issued as part of an impeachment inquiry does not have to satisfy that requirement, and the courts are more deferential. Thus, an official inquiry will make it more difficult for the Biden White House legally to ignore subpoenas, withhold documents, and prevent witnesses from testifying. This was, you'll remember, the argument that was made by Pelosi twice against Trump, 
So now it applies to Biden Incorporated as well. And um, yeah. So there's a there's a real value to doing this if you want to take this to the next level. If you think the evidence demands that you do. I do. I absolutely do. But do also, you think we have, that this will help his campaign or his reelection bid? Biden's. Uh, you you think it will help? Is no, I'm just saying? asking. Do you think it will? I mean, if he looks uh, like a victim now, oh, look, the government's going after him. Yeah, I mean, I he guess he could try that. You know, the this um, a vast right wing conspiracy business and I'm being targeted by these Christian nationalists in the House and so on and so forth. And they're a threat to our democracy right, and they're trying to take out a duly elected president. Look and, at you writing the script already. Keep going. Well, sure, they could, yeah, yeah, they could, yeah. he could do that. But do you think that's going to sell? You know, I mean, remember where the opinion polling is on this, uh, whether uh, the majority supports impeaching Biden. I'm sure a majority of Democrats don't. But but a majority have already concluded that Biden, the Biden family was in, is corrupt and was involved in influence peddling. I mean, the majority of Americans are there. So there's no argument for Republicans, no political argument, not that it should be primarily a political one. It should be an evidentiary one. Um, but there's there should not be real concern from Republicans. And with respect to Biden trying to spin out of it that way and play the victim, I think that's going to go about as well as his previous spin, which is this is just about a father's love for his uh, troubled oh, God, son. Yeah. People buying that? I don't think so. By the way, uh, John Solomon over at Just the News reporting that uh, those newly disclo- disclosed payments we were just discussing – occurred while Hunter was still receiving payments from a joint venture with the Chinese company with Communist Party connections. At the same time, Wells Fargo compliance officers were questioning the flow of funds into Hunter's business accounts. So uh, you can go with the there's no evidence. You can go with Jamie Raskin's line. But I don't think that uh, the fair-minded person is going to find that particularly persuasive uh dave in wakanda you're on chicago's morning answer good morning guys thanks for taking my call you know here's the here's the question it's not politics that we're going after biden it's the security of our nation and if he's compromised in these fashions what else can he be possibly compromised with well All- right Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dave, but thanks for that. I mean, that, this is this is the, you know, sort of easy hypothetical argument to make in response to the skeptic. If uh, you replaced the names Joe and Hunter with Donald and Don Jr., would your opinion be the same? Hmm. I doubt it. I doubt it for those on the left uh, doing the three blind mice routine. I doubt it. By the way, if you don't think that demonization is going to be their strategy, not just directed at Trump, but a la what you heard from Liz Cheney earlier in the program, Mike Johnson, Mike Lee, Josh Howley, these are all uh, you know co-conspirators with Donald Trump in ending our republic. Listen to James Carville on Mar, uh, Mar show over the weekend, Serpent Head on Mars show about Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson and what he believes is one of the greatest threats we have today to the United States. When I, when I, 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 I promise you, 
I know these people. Well, you're talking about Christian nationalism. That's absolutely. Talking about this, is, this is a, right. this is a, a bigger <clears throat> threat than al-Qaeda. Oh, oh to this country. God. They, and <laughs> let me tell you something. They're Speaker of the House. They got probably at least two Supreme Court justices, maybe more. Right? Don't kid yourself. And, and people in the press have no idea who this guy is, how he was formed, what the threat is. And this is a fundamental threat to the United States. It is a fundamental threat. They don't believe in the Constitution. Calm down. Go shine your bald head. I mean, come right. on. Right. What, what, what can you say right. about that? But, right but just so you know what's coming. Mike Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson, is a, a, is a bigger threat to America than was Osama bin Laden. Bigger threat than al-Qaeda. That's what Carville says. And people are clapping like train seals. Exactly like train seals. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. That depth charge means it's time for in-depth history with Frank from Arlington Heights because there's nothing new in this world, just the history we don't know. Frank has a, a comparison between a seminal diplomat who just passed and one from a bygone era. Frank, take it away. Good morning. In 1754, Charles Maurice du Perigord de Talleyrand was born in Paris to aristocratic parents who spent much of their time at Versailles in Louis XV's court. So much time, in fact, that while his nanny was tending to him as an infant, he fell off a dresser, injuring his foot. Embarrassed, the nanny tried to heal the wound herself, resulting in a club foot for Talleyrand. Nonetheless, raised by his grandmother and parents and designated for a church career, he survived the French Revolution's terror phases and emerged as a great diplomat, saving France from being dismantled by the other powers at the Congress of Vienna. In 1923, Henry Kissinger was born to Jewish-German parents who saw what was coming and fled Germany for the United States a few weeks before the Kristallnacht in 1938. After serving his adopted country as an interpreter in World War II, Kissinger excelled at Harvard, writing the book A World Restored for his doctoral dissertation. About the Congress of Vienna, this tome pushed the door wide open for him as he served as National Security Advisor under Nixon and Secretary of State under Ford. Being an integral part of the opening of China, Salt won negotiations with the Soviet Union and the Paris Peace Accords in 1973. Kissinger was a key architect of the Pax Americana. There is no doubt that both of these great diplomats, Talleyrand and Kissinger, despite the mistakes they made, were giants on the world stage. Both went through early struggles, persevered, and had an impact on their times. Uh, you know what Metternich said about Talleyrand when, he, uh, when Talleyrand passed? Do you know that one, Frank? No, I, I don't know that one. He said, uh, now, what could that old fox mean by that? <laughs> Good one, Metternich, you know, Good little, one. Little professional courtesy, sure. right? The, the, yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing better than uh, humor related to foreign diplomats. I mean, that's a great no area of humor. You guys are going to be at Zany's this weekend. Huh? Yeah, it, it was, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Woo. We do a great ham and egg routine. You it's too. Vaudeville. Frank yeah. and Dan. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, when 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 Talleyrand died, you know Vol Voltaire when he died, allegedly he confessed because Voltaire was an atheist. Talleyrand too, and Talleyrand, from all the reports that I've read about him, did not confess. He just held firm to his uh, 
his lack of a belief in a god. So uh, the uh, the other thing about Kissinger too, I mean, we haven't talked a lot about it, um, but you know, Kissinger was virulent anti-communist, um, but he also his 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 you know triangulation of the great powers to avoid conflict with the great powers, whereas what we see today from the foreign policy blob seems to have us careening toward conflict with the great powers. It's almost uh, 180 degrees from the approach that Kissinger took. Well, one would think we'd want to, you know, divide China and, and Russia, essentially. One would think. You don't want to have Eurasia united. That should be our foreign policy. It's the number one foreign policy goal, according to uh, uh, George Friedman. So, um, you know, we're not triangulating today. It certainly seems like it. So, Frank from Arlington Heights, In-Depth History. Thanks so much, Frank. Appreciate it, as always. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Fear not the uh, die movement, the diversity officers on college campuses, and by extension, throughout the rest of society. I know there's some clawback happening, but culturally, as we'll hear momentarily, the uh, press from the identitarian left has not relented an iota. Mitchell Chang is a die officer at UCLA. Republicans don't fear die or D D E I, but you know die is like die yeah. is more Dickensian. I'm not gonna fear death. What? No. Don't fear D E I. Diversity yeah. offices like mine could only wish to be that influential. Don't fear us because even though we're peddling intellectual poison, we're not that powerful. That's that's a real argument. Of course, that's not what he's saying. But I mean, the idea is we're not powerful, so you shouldn't fear us. Well, what if you were? Should we then? Because what's the underlying intellectual value of what you're doing? What does it contribute or what harm does it do? That's the question, not how much sway you have. But anyway, uh, let's hear him out. Wrote this op-ed. I, too, would be fearful of die if offices that oversaw that oversee a wide range of those efforts uh, to indoctrinate, as has been accused to install indoctrinators, as has been accused. I, too, would be fearful if die offices uh, that oversee a wide range of those efforts were actually guilty of such serious charges. However, those fears are more imagined than real based on what I've experienced in my more than 30 years of studying higher education (laughs) and two years working at UCLA's die office. 30 years of studying higher education hasn't picked up on anything that's concerning. Hmm, interesting, given what we're seeing on college campuses after the October 7th terrorist attack in Gaza. But okay. Die offices on college campuses, writes Mr. Chang, do not have special superpowers that ensure transformative influence as claimed by critics. These offices have had a relatively short history and must operate within a context shaped by multiple competing internal and external forces. <laughs> the... Uh, 
it's just such a such a specious argument, which you would sort of actually expect from a die officer, particularly one who's studied colleges, higher education for three decades and hasn't picked up on any problems afoot. Anyway, the argument goes, um, we're not as transformative as we want to be, so don't fear us. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there's these dynamics and... Um, also, this. Um, moreover, uh, according to Inside Higher Ed, I'm sure um, there's a high turnover rate among chief diversity officers, and these positions can be isolating, emotionally taxing, and not taken seriously. Gee, why wouldn't they be taken seriously? You're asking for people to take you seriously. Okay, go on. Universities must comply with civil rights legislation, and and some diversity offices were established because of failures to do so, and so on and so forth. I just I gave you essentially the thrust of his argument. Don't fear us because we're not as strong as we want to be, so you have nothing to worry about. Uh huh. Well, um, they're stronger than he represents. The cultural zeitgeist certainly is. Ibram Kenry, uh, don't call him Henry Rogers, his real name. Uh, Ibram Kendi, uh, who uh, has that uh, Center for Anti-Racism at Boston University that's under, was under, and then it disappeared, all kinds of scrutiny for financial mismanagement, had academics, such as they are, to work at something ridiculous like that, complete uh, charlatans. Um, th- but but those that were employed there left under Kendi's tutelage, uh, raising questions about how money was spent and so on and so forth, not to mention what scholarship was produced. But Kendi is a cause celeb because of his How to Be an Anti-Racist, which was translated in children's books and uh, infused into K-12 through school systems around the country, including throughout Chicagoland, as we've discussed. Cause celeb, so what do you get? Well, you get sinecures like this Center for Anti-Racism at Boston U, and you also get Netflix deals like the Obamas. So he's got a new movie out that Netflix recently posted called Stamp from the Beginning. And if you're wondering what that's about, you want to gather the family around uh, the Netflix stream and take a, a run at Stamp from the Beginning, here's Ibram Kendi at a screening giving you a little preview of uh, what you'll find in that film, what you found from him since his ascendancy eh, in the last five to seven years in the uh, move of Black Lives Matter and rioting as legitimate forms of protest and identitarianism writ large. The reparations plays, all of these other things die, all of these other things that are afoot. Kendi is one of the beneficiaries, one of the prime hustlers. That I, I don't think uh, white uh, people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness and and how much um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity. In other words, uh, recognizing that uh, when you when you recognize that you are part and parcel of humanity. In other words, you're not over humanity, right? Uh, it, it allows you to really be able to connect 
to people who don't look like you, who have kinky hair, who have dark skin, uh, and to see yourself in them. And it's whiteness that prevents that, right? And, and when you're not able to see yourself uh, in other human beings, that creates all sorts of problems. Um, but not just societal problems, personal problems uh, that, that I think hopefully this, this, this film and this work will, will liberate those folks from. So I, I think it's, this liberate, it's liberating all the way around, right? It, it, you know, I think it, it will liberate you know, really all of us because you know, we've all been told a lie about ourselves and other people. Ooh. Oh, wow, powerful. Powerful. Yeah. He's not a changed woman. He's not a sophist at all. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Stand from the beginning, watch it, recognize your whiteness, uh, prevents you from human connections, and be liberated from your whiteness. <laughs> Liberation, uh, says Hank Rogers. This is everywhere, Right? It still is. I, I know there are, you know, sort of competing pathologies afoot in our politics. And so maybe the race hustle has fallen a few pegs in the ranking recently. But I mean, and I know, as I said, there's some clawback on die officers and sensitivity training and the sort of the race hustle in corporate America. But but it's still there. They're not just rolling over and the propaganda that Kendi produces, as I said, is in the schools. And, uh, you know, he's paid handsomely to come speak on college campuses to peddle the poison you just heard. What a racket. So many text messages. Dan and Amy, he's such a racist fraud. I can't stand it. Another one, he's like a fish that doesn't recognize the water he swims in. Uh, well, now you know where uh, BLM Brandon gets it. Right. That uh, uh, honky Republicans are just upset that a black man is free. We haven't gotten over uh, slavery, even though, you know, sort of Democrats who didn't get over the Civil War. But okay, Well, right. And even though essentially the party's founding father, Abraham Lincoln, was the great emancipator. But, you know, I digress. These are minor historical points in the face of Ibram Kendi's deep thinking about uh, race. Whiteness prevents you from. Being human, it prevents you from connecting to people who look differently than you. And the, the, the you know, the, the caricatures, oh, uh, we can't, I, I don't, if I look at somebody that has a different hairstyle than I, than I have, then I, I can't connect with them. <laughs> I mean, who lives like he describes? It really? I want to know. I, that, that would be my, I just, yeah, when he speaks, I mean, he never debates. John McWhorter, uh, the, the deep intellect, who's a linguistics professor at Columbia and others, have, have you know, openly asked him to debate. He, but these guys don't debate. No. They, they won't engage with those who think differently because they're there for what you just heard at that Netflix film screening. They're there for those trained seals to applaud at the, uh, it express their white guilt and and demonstrate their deference to these race hustlers. I know he won't talk to any of his critics because you know because it's discuss a, it with woke supporters. That's all he could do because his positions are indefensible. Yes, basically. Right. But hey, 
They're indefensible and very lucrative. Yeah, it's a moneymaker. Shaking da- the moneymaker. David in Winnetka. Hey, good morning, Jen and Amy. How are you? Uh, so from a displaced last relationship, I'm staying in a hotel in uh, Libertyville, and I meet a gal. She's uh, she's a color, but she's straight out of Compton. And I'm a nice white Jewish boy that grew up in the suburbs. So she's introduced me now to her whole family. I've been over there a few times in Waukegan. I'm literally the only white guy in the room. And um, it's just it's just funny, the interaction, to see, you know, how can I say this? Uh, it, it takes time to learn. You know, you're literally like, I have a translator. There's a translator. He stands right next to me, like, you know, when I'm in the conversation trying to follow along. And uh, maybe the whole thing has just been such a dichotomy of whatever. But I, I'm trying to get them to just put cameras in their in their place. They don't have to do anything, but put cameras in and roll them because it, it's gold. And it's just gold. It's just been such an amazing experience of of it all. And nothing that that person, whatever his name is, Hendy and whatever, we, we all get along. I mean, there's just nothing but love. So, nothing so you're, love. so, so you're going out with a black woman and you're a yes. Jewish white dude from the suburbs and, 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 a the nice fam- one at that. <laughs> and, and a nice Jewish boy. And, uh, and the family has embraced you and, uh, and you have, you know, and you have these interactions that are I don't know, uh, of a cultural exchange of varieties, sort of the way you're describing it, when you visit with them. Correct, and I got to say this one part, and not only do they embrace me, they agree with me. So so what I mean by that is, uh, so the gal works in the evening, she had to go to work, and I was over with, um, I was over there with, um, actually I took my friend Pete with me, he's a white dude too, and uh, he came back to me at one point and said, uh, he goes, I, I, I just had a conversation, I think, you know, and so... But anyways, we are uh, we we yeah we, okay. So you're know. like you're like Barbara Billingsley in Airplane. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Right. All right, David. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's 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 uh you know um different strokes uh theme song here against the backdrop of uh, David's little vignette. But um, I it just like. Who wants to live their life the way that Ibram Kendi and Ta-Nehisi Coates and uh, Robin D'Angelo and these the variety of these other race hustlers, Brandon Johnson, lives their lives where you go around uh, – and I don't even know if they actually live their lives like this. Like I said, I mean it's a hustle. But you go around you know, being uh, suspicious, uh, dare I say afraid of the honkies that you come across because uh, – they, according to you, don't have the ability to connect with you as a fellow human being. I mean, does, who, who, who actually lives like that? And to the extent that people that there are any but that there are any people that do what a way to live your life. I mean, he's got I mean, to realize he's living a lie, right? But he's doing it for the money. Well, I just it, it just speaks to this whole uh, the infrastructure that they've built. Thank you, corporate America. Thank you, higher education. Thank you, government schools at the K through 12 level. The whole thing is the uh, equivalent of FTX. It's a fiction. It's a big fraud. These are just fraudsters. But they have audience. And uh, they get people to behave in ways that I can only assume go against their better judgment. It's sad, actually. He's a pathetic figure, and so are the people that applaud him. 
Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Insert Democrat Socialist here. Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank, gang, 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 gang. You ought to know by now. You can pay off your house here in Illinois, but you can never keep up with the taxes. Oh, how it's always been the plan to have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if anymore, but when you're moving out. When you're moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That theme music means it's time for our weekly conversation with Ted Dabrowski, president of wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. We'll get to Goshen, but I want to start with this really interesting study by the Commonwealth Foundation about uh, the government unions. The NEA, AFT, SCIU, and AFSCME, the uh, axis of evil and certainly at the state level, and to a lesser extent, the federal level. This is who runs Illinois. AFSCME, the teachers' unions, and SEIU, and everything else and everybody else, spare parts in service of these unions. Right? We talked about it last week. Like, for example, your home, which you don't own. It's collateral for the union's defined benefit pensions. The Commonwealth Foundation looked at uh, political spending by the unions. In the 2021-2022 election cycle, so the midterms, they spent a combined $708 million on politics. Wow. Since 2012, union spending on federal elections has nearly tripled. Democrats and their associated causes receive 96% of the cash. And so here again, as I've said about Illinois for going on decades, how does the Republican Party not draw a bright line and say, we will not take, none of our members will take, none of our elected officials are going to take money from SIU, the teachers, and AFSCME, because these are anathema to good governance and fiscal sanity. They're cultural Marxists on top of it, for God's sakes. 96%. Oh, and at the state level, those unions, the teachers, SJU, AFSCME, can't say it enough. So the IEA, IFT, AFSCME, SJU in Illinois. And at the state level, the four largest government unions, well, who's number one in the country? During the mid in the midterm cycle, in terms of spending at the state level, number one, Illinois is the fifth most populous state, but number one with a bullet when it comes to union public sector union spending. Mm-hmm. These government unions, twenty eight million dollars in Illinois oh. compared to twenty five million in California, which of course is three times the size. Right, I was going to say it's a lot bigger than Illinois. Twenty eight million, and then wow. these are the same people that uh, you know, with the help of their media functionaries who run around decrying the billionaire 
uh, set who like supports the pack, the super PACs that I've run in Illinois. Oh, you know, funded by the billionaires and this and that. Oh, get the money out of politics. <laughs> Meanwhile, twenty eight million bucks in the in the midterms last year. The rank hypocrisy of it all. Uh, also, those same four unions, Commonwealth Foundation study, accounted for 83% of BLM Brandon's campaign funds, teachers' unions the most. 83%. I remember some teachers fought back, like, we don't want our union dues going to him because they yeah. didn't take a vote, a collective vote. They just did it. Uh, and Illinois House Speaker, when did you stop beating your girlfriend? Chris Welch? It was a Formica countertop. Come on. Well, when did you stop? Yeah, Chris Welch? $1.25 million in the midterms, more than any other state legislator in the country. So tell me again about uh, the union, the these four unions in particular, not the unions, these four unions in particular being a force for good and good governance. Illinois is, of course, the prime case study, the worst example. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Ted Dabrowski. Now, Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. None of this comes as a surprise to you, but it's always good to have the numbers. No, it's great. It's great to have the numbers. And Commonwealth Foundation has done a pretty good job of this uh, over, over the past year, so I'm glad they, they put this out. And, you know, what's fascinating is, is, is the parts you mentioned, which is, of course, all the money and the influence. And I think what most ordinary people forget, not, not the ones on this on this show, but uh, the ordinary people who, who keep voting for, for you know, the union-supported politicians, Largely Democrats, but a lot, a lot of Republicans, as you mentioned, especially those that take money from the, from the education unions. Yeah, like you know, the leadership, like the like the quote unquote leadership of the Republican Party. Well, These, yeah, the yeah. House Republican super minority leader in the House, super minority leader in the Senate, and they wonder why they're in the super minority. No, they don't. But they're 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 you know bending over for these uh, jackals in the government unions, just like the Democrats do. Yeah, and then it's with that power that the unions, with the politicians, of course, passing the laws have created two classes of people in Illinois, right? The union class, the government worker class. And I'm speaking about government unions, not, not private sector unions. They've created this government union class that's protected by the Pension Protection Clause, that's now protected by the Workers' Rights Amendment, that's protected with long-term contracts, guaranteed raises, guaranteed salaries, you know, all these, all these benefits they get. And the other class, which is the, the one that has to pay for all that, they don't get any of those benefits. And so... You know, so the ordinary Illinoisans has gladly or seemingly or whatever, accidentally, whatever you want to call it, created and voted for and perpetuates this two-class system that they keep having to pay for. They can't be, they haven't connected the dots why they're paying so much in taxes and why they have no power and why the unions have all the power. And uh, now in Wisconsin, uh, Governor Walker's budget repair bill, the so-called Act 10, that uh, according to the MacGyver Institute, Save Wisconsin taxpayers about $17 billion since it was passed and signed by Walker in 2011, preventing Wisconsin from becoming Illinois. Well, now they've uh, filed a lawsuit. Now that that, the left has control of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, they filed a lawsuit seeking to overturn Act 10 and make Wisconsin more like Illinois, because that's what they do. They're like termites going through wood. Yeah, and what was fascinating, about again, about Act 10, when it passed whatever it was over 10 years ago, was how it really helped Wisconsin get off off of a negative path and become a you know a good state again from a budget perspective. They started having more growth. It was, it was really beneficial, and and you know they broke a lot of the problems that we have here in Illinois with, with the unions. And here they go. Um, they they might lose they might lose the good thing they've got they've had for a while. I want to talk about Goshen. You heard it uh, on our newscast at the bottom of the hour that uh, 
last night, the uh, village board in Mantino approved the zoning change to facilitate the location of that uh, Chinese communist-backed EV battery plant in Mantino. Um, We talked about this a bit last week. There was a pretty good turnout of the no-Goshen residents, but uh, the village board decided to stick with the uh, CHICOMs instead. Um, I I understand that uh, some of those opponents who are Mantino residents are raising money to challenge the vote in court. Um, But what's your perspective on on the uh, prospects of stopping Goshen? Well, you know, they've hired they've hired lawyers, the same lawyers that helped uh, uh, out of Minnesota who helped um, stop uh, one of those uh, Michigan Chinese projects. No, no, this is well, oh, they, yeah, they worked in Michigan too, but also a, a project in, jeez, uh, I forget if it was uh, South Dakota or somewhere. Um, so similar thing where they, they kept the Chinese out. Uh, you know, the, the question is going to be, you know, they got the zoning now passed out past five from last night, um, and so the barriers are being removed. The Pritzker, you know, Pritzker's got everybody pretty much lined up. So um, there's still attempts at doing some kind of lawsuits on on environmental, but uh, we'll have to see what kind of power this group has and whether they think they can. They can, uh, you know, find a find a path to blocking it. But uh, you know, you've seen all the all the all the major players come up and support it. So I think it's going to be tough. Um, you know, it's it's been a good it's been a good fight. But uh, you know, I think we don't have the recall. We, we don't have the recall power they had in Big Rapids in Michigan. So you know, we here we have to wait around for the next election cycle to try to kick kick people out. By the way, there is a website set up by those residents of Mantino challenging that vote. Uh, NoGoshen-Illinois.com. NoGoshen-Illinois.com. If you want to help that fight, you know, and, and just just along on the, on this line, you know, what's what's really I think damning about all this is, you know, I, I just looked up a report we wrote a year and a half ago about about Pritzker pushing pushing his um, his EV initiative back, you know, back when he was passing the um, this back in November 2021, the Reimagining Electric Vehicles in Illinois Act, and that whole thing was passed around, trying to base it around Rivian. And at the time, Rivian stock price was at one hundred and seventy-two dollars. Uh, today, it's at seventeen dollars. And you know, the problem with this whole thing is that Pritzker and, and of course Biden and others are are pushing this EV agenda, uh, which we're seeing start to crumble. And it's you know this big industrial policy that that they think is the right one for for Illinois and for America. But um, you're starting to watch a lot of this whole EV movement uh, slow down, maybe crumble because. The news on EVs are, are horrible. They're, they're they're more more expensive to take care of. You know they 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 break down more often. They're not you know there's it's fifty thousand dollars of subsidies per every EV made in in, uh, in America right now. So it's an unsustainable path. We'll have to see where it goes. But uh, you know they've given five hundred million dollars to the Goshen for the EV batteries wow. uh, from from Illinois alone, and that's two hundred thousand dollars a job. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, even NBC Nightly News did a story about no one's buying EV vehicles. In fact, they even interviewed um, a car dealer who said they're returning them because if their battery breaks down, it's $40,000 to buy a yeah. new one. So and I, like, who, right, no one so has that kind of cash. Right. I mean, especially if you're poor, right? I mean, if you, right, you, with an with old, you know, a combustible car, you can... Uh, you know, or you fix it easily. You can change the engine out for a thousand bucks. You know, some cheap engine, but you can't do that with these cars. So it's it's going to be. You know, I I read a great piece by somebody that just saying that this is destructive for the poor people because they can't they can't afford these cars. They can't afford them to begin with, and they can't afford to repair them. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Governor Pritzker because he's at odds right now with 
Mayor Johnson. So they had this 800-page report released Friday about, you know, the mercury and other toxins that were found at the site at 38th in Broadway or 38th in California. And now Governor Pritzker, he's saying, well, reporters got that report before the governor's office did. So there's a pause in construction. Is he possibly doing this? Because if we have these big, large white tents, it might look bad when he's trying to run for president someday. He, he's, he's still committed $65 million to it. It's going to happen. But... It's going to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I think the big mess is, you know, I, I think it's more that Brandon Johnson is, is, is proving he can't, he doesn't know how to manage a city. Uh, and, and I think that was probably known before he got in, as, as we all wrote about. Uh, but he's proving continuously that he's not, he's not capable and, and that hurts Pritzker because Pritzker needs a, you know, as bad as it, Chicago may be run, he needs it to be somewhat, quote, normal. And uh, Johnson doesn't know how to do that. And so, you know, Pritzker's had to step in. You know, they got the DNC in Chicago in, in less than a year. So things need to be perfect. And he doesn't want anybody screwing up his presidential ambitions in case they, they come to fruition. So Johnson is not a good, a good partner right now for, uh, for Pritzker in, in the sense of management of things, certainly on crime. Uh, now in the migrant crisis, he hasn't managed it well, and you know, this has allowed Pritzker to come in and say, "Hey, I'm 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 the big guy. I got the money now. Let me let me take over." Uh, you know, bad for Johnson, and maybe good for Pritzker if he manages it well. Well, do you wow. know how much Governor Pritzker has paid out of his own pocket to have the DNC here in Chicago? I have no I have no idea about that. Yeah. Look, the important news and the good news is that they're both underwritten politically and and Brandon Johnson financially by those government unions. So they'll find a way to get along. And isn't isn't that just what we want? Isn't that just what we want so that Illinois can stay on this wonderful track that it's on? Ted Dabrowski, President Wirepoints, wirepoints wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy related. Thanks, Ted. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Hear about the big stories of the day. Then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, as we've been discussing for the past couple of weeks, we are fully into our annual holiday campaign with Food for the Poor to uh, raise the requisite dollars to feed starving children in Haiti and other de- uh, other countries in the developing world where I mean, starvation is a real threat. Um, I want to just uh, highlight uh, our business benefactors again because uh, a key aspect of this campaign in terms of meeting our goals is getting a business leadership from the Chicagoland area. And uh, Amy will explain what the business benefactor program is, how it works. But just want to thank Waukegan Roofing, Opinion Health Solutions, uh, Jeff Tischler, author of High Tech versus the Highest Tech, Marshall Pearson Company, Fine Jewelry and Luxury Watcher, uh, Watches, Brucer Machining Incorporated, and many other businesses for their support because it's uh, mission critical uh, for this campaign. And if you've thought about, you know, maybe you want to advertise for your company and you're not sure if you're on the fence, folks, this is the best deal in all of Chicago radio. A one-time donation of $2,500, which is tax deductible, goes to Food for the Poor. And as a way of saying thank you, we give you 40 one-minute commercials that air right here on AM560. This sells out every year, so the sooner you get on it, the better. But think about it. You'll be helping 
children who are facing starvation on a daily basis, but you'll also be boosting your company. And we've had so many advertisers that are still in our family that started out as business benefactors. I mean, I think of Turnkey IT, Arlington Heights Heating and Cooling, Waukegan Roofing, um, Tom Sedeka's company. I mean, the list goes on and on. But we really help them elevate their business because, uh, again, it's the best deal in Chicago radio to become a business benefactor. Write it down. 847-472-8951. You have to call Ann Jeanette. Again, the phone number is 847-472-8951. If you're on the fence, just call Ann Jeanette anyway. She'll walk you through the process, tell you you know the benefits. And again, the money helps those that are near starvation on a daily basis and it will also help elevate your business. And um, uh, again, Food for the Poor, 40-year track record, five-star Charity Navigator rated, 90% plus of every dollar raised goes directly to the provision of food and water and infrastructure building to uh, sustain lives and save lives in Haiti and elsewhere. For uh, more on uh, this campaign, we're pleased to be joined by Anitra uh, Parmalee. She's uh, associated with Food for the Poor. Anitra, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. What an exciting time of the year as people are starting to take stock of 2023. And we have seen such an outpouring of generosity from your listeners who are making, taking a stand against hunger in, as you mentioned, 17 countries throughout Latin America and the Caribbean by providing food for a year. The numbers are incredible in terms of the families that have been impacted by rising food prices, but also amazing in terms of your listeners stepping up to make a difference. Talking about Kevin listening and Carol Stream, his gift of $160 will rescue four children, providing food for a year. If you've been to the grocery store lately, you know that that is pretty amazing and efficient as we're able to say $160 one-time gift provides four children with food for a year. For Jonathan and Jennifer, they were streaming the show in Wichita. They were able to give a gift of $1,000 rescuing 25 wow. children. So I love that everybody is, you know, just looking at their own resources, but trying to make a difference for 2024. Imagine being able to provide a hungry child who hasn't eaten maybe for two or three days with the assurance of knowing they are going to get two life-saving meals a day for the next year. I mean, that's what we're inviting you to be a part of right now. I, th- I like that uh, word you use, rescue. I mean, that's really what this is, a rescue operation. That's probably the best way to describe it. By the way, uh, johncastnews.com, he just, John Cast just texted me, I'm in, johncastnews.com, business benefactor. Yeah. If you can't trust John Cast, then, I mean, who can you trust in this world? So we appreciate John Cast's support and all the other businesses as well. Um, it's really great. So, so um, how, how you know? Tell us, uh, give us a little bit of stock in terms of how the overall campaign is is going. What the goal is this year, and and how we're doing in uh, in achieving that. Well, we have an audacious goal because we, having been with your listeners uh, year after year after year, we know the generosity not just of the business benefactors, but also of the families, the couples, the singles, the people that are saying, I'm the mother of two kids, and I want to make sure another mother who woke up this morning not knowing how she's going to feed her child, 
I want to relieve that pressure for her. So already almost 2,000 children, you've allowed Food for the Poor to notify those parents that they are going to have a future, quite literally. I mean, so many of these words in terms of hunger and malnutrition and the threat of starvation can be just, you know, can weigh you down. But we encourage you to think about the hope that your gift gives because you transform that mother when she is able to know that no longer does every waking moment need to be focused on getting food for her children. Imagine how that boulder of terror just rolls off and all of a sudden she's able to exhale. I mean, as parents, imagine not knowing how to feed your children, not because you're lazy or or a, a bad parent, but because of circumstances totally out of your control. And, and then somebody comes along and says, you know, somebody is coming alongside and standing by you, your children, two children, four children, even gifts, as we mentioned, of 25 children, business benefactors, over 60 children will get the news that they're going to eat for a year. Whatever the number of children, imagine the impact on each of them as they have a future. You are making 2024 possible for them. Yeah, and I've been there, and I was lucky to go along before political unrest. You know, they had to stop the trips, but to work at the feeding center, to actually fill up oh. these buckets with rice and beans and seeing the smiles on people's faces, even though they walked miles to get there, and they do it every day to bring back, you know, just a bucket of rice and beans back to their children. Amy, we've been so grateful. I've been listening to your stories, and, and you take me back. I have the honor of traveling with Food for the Poor to many of the countries where we serve. And there's just that recognition. You can hear about it, but it's different when you speak so eloquently of standing there, of the smells, of the sights, of the sounds, and, as you mentioned, the incredible joy of being able to ladle into these buckets food that you know is going to make a difference. And I've, I've been so grateful as I've, I've listened to the show that you're able to translate that to somebody who may never have the chance to go to Haiti, but because of your experiences and your stories and your, your on-the-ground testimony of the efficiency of food for the poor, suddenly they're saying, okay, this is something I want to be a part of. I I don't want to, to miss out on this. So, so grateful to you and for traveling with us and for sharing your story so eloquently. I mean, it's and hard this, to describe the level of poverty. I, it's, I, I mean, there's garbage piles burning. There is just chaotic. I've never seen and probably never right. will see anything like it in my life. Well, and um, this is sort of like to, in terms of our supporters, uh, people supporting the campaign, this is sort of like being a virtual volunteer at a soup kitchen. Um, not that you can't do that in real life, too, but this is one, an, another way to do it where the uh, the threat truly is existential. It's an overused word, but it's applicable here. And the other thing, too, I mean, just with Food for the Poor as the vehicle, I think people need to understand the uh, trust relationship built up over 40 years and the infrastructure, there's just not a lot of other organizations that have the capacity to do what you do. So, I mean, in many places like Haiti, it's more or less food for the poor or nothing. You're exactly right. And in Haiti, we are the largest NGO, literally millions of Haitians rely on food for the poor for 
their daily food because of, I mean, we've read the headlines. We know the story of Haiti, but these innocent victims of these circumstances are rescued because of gifts like yours. I mean, you're exactly right. This morning, a father is going to set off on a journey in the heat and the the you know the challenges of a two hour trip because he's heard the rumor that somebody may have food for for his children. I mean, they haven't eaten for two days, and as a husband, as a father, that is a matter of shame for him. And he finally makes it to the food for the poor staff member, and the only reason that staff member is able to say yes. Here's food for your your children, and we are going to be able to feed you for the next year is because of your action right now. You, Without you, I mean, this is reality. Without you, that staff member just shakes his head. There is not provision without your gift, and we're so grateful for everyone who's given. I just... I I challenge you, will you be a part of rescuing the next 50 children? That would be a one-time gift of a, of $2,000. Maybe like Frankie in Bloomingdale, you can give $500 and rescue 12 children. Again, maybe like Ke- Kevin and Carol Strain. For you, your number is 160, rescuing uh, four children. Whatever your amount, will you say yes right now as 2023 comes to an end so that 2024 is full of possibilities and will give children a future. And and again, uh, if you're not running your uh, donation through a business to take advantage of the business benefactor program, the individual donations that Anitra was referencing, you can make one at 844-862-4673, 844-862-4673, that is, or visit 560answer.com slash food for the poor. And Uh, You know, a gift as uh, little as $80 can feed two children for a year. And I love what Martha said. When you go to uh, 560theanswer.com and click on that big red banner, we ask all the normal information. But we also ask if you'd like to share, just tell us why you gave. And we have had such inspiring uh, comments, you know, uh, Amy, in response to your stories because they trust you guys so much. They're they're like, you know what, I know my money is going to be well-placed and that every dollar is going to make a difference. And from Martha, she said, there are so many headlines that I hear about that I can't do anything about. This is finally something I can do something about. And she was able to make a a very generous gift in the name of her family. So will you say yes right now to providing a future for children or mothers who are boiling water? This is a situation we see over and over where they're boiling water and we ask them, oh, what are you cooking? And it's the response is is just devastating. I'm boiling water only to give my children hope that there may be something coming to eat. I'm hoping they fall asleep before they realize I have nothing to give them. Yeah, it's such a heartbreaking story, but it's true. And um, I'm about to tweet out the picture of the boy that we saw on the side of the road that we stopped. I'm like, just stop and let's give him all the food we have. Because his mom was gone because she was walking to the village to get the food to bring it back. But that was such a nice surprise and the smile on his face. So please, mm. whatever amount you could give, 844-862-4673 or visit 560theanswer.com slash food for the poor. But that child and his brother, if you just donate $80, you could feed those two boys for a year. 
And also, again, we cannot hit hard enough our business benefactor program. It is the best deal in Chicago radio, $2,500 tax-deductible donation. We will give you 41-minute commercials that will air right here on AM560, Monday through Friday, at primetime hours, um, and you will be helping people as well as you're helping your business to become a business benefactor. Call Ann Jeanette, 847-472-8951. And just think, how many people, if, if you get a $2,500 donation, what could you do with that? That's 62 children suddenly who have a future. Imagine children who have not had food for two or three days will have two meals a day every single day. And I'm so nosy. I want to know, <laughs> the children you rescue, who are they going to become? Will they be the next community leader, the next pastor, the next micro-industry leader? You are giving them The next olden Polonies, you know, a couple NBA players from uh, uh, Seriously, yeah. seriously, because all of a sudden they have a future. And Amy, I, I love your your story of stopping and meeting needs because isn't that our impetus? And that is, as a listener to Dan and Amy, I know your generosity. If these children were at your door, you'd be running for your pantry. If your second grader said, Mommy, I don't think the little boy has a lunch every day, you'd be packing not one brown bag, but several to make sure everybody ate. Well, it's a click, it's a call, but the impact is beyond words when you move children from hunger into satisfaction and a, ho- and a hope for the future. Anitra Parmali, Food for the Poor representative. Anitra, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. So excited to have a front row seat to see your listeners respond with generosity. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, that's uh, all self-important COP28 conference going on in Dubai. And uh, Secretary of State Kankles made an appearance yesterday. Oh, that's so bad. She had, I haven't uh, heard that one before. Secretary of State Kankles? Yeah, you remember her. No, I, remember, had, I thought it was Secretary of State Foundation. Suit Pants. Yeah, yeah, sure. That works, too. Uh, she uh, took to the stage to uh, offer uh, this uh, admonition with respect to the impending doom of the planet. We're seeing uh, and beginning to pay attention and to count and record uh, the deaths that are related to climate, and by far the biggest killer is extreme heat. I mean, even in Europe last summer, which uh, has the ability to count and figure out what happened, they recorded 61,000 deaths because of the heat in Europe. We don't have that kind of number yet from Africa, Asia, Latin America, but we know and estimate that we probably uh, could uh, measure about 500,000 deaths. And the majority of those are women and girls, and particularly pregnant women. Right. Uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Horseface are saving lives over there in Dubai, except that's not true, what she said. Well, it's only half the truth which is the same thing as an untruth for the purpose of scaremongering. 
In point of fact, as we know from the work of Bjorn Lomberg over at the Copenhagen Consensus Center, and uh, as well as researchers that have published in The Lancet, which is one of the preeminent, preeminent uh, medical science journals, cold deaths vastly outweigh heat deaths. And it's not close. Um, each year, uh, according to the uh, Lancet research paper, uh, almost 600,000 people die globally from heat. 4.5 million die from cold. So a factor of 8x in the direction of cold. She's talking about heat. She doesn't mention cold. Of course she doesn't. Moreover, uh, this from Lumberg, when the researchers include increasing temperatures of half a degree Fahrenheit over a decade, they find heat deaths increase, but cold deaths decrease more than twice as much. So on balance, in terms of saving lives, a cold is the primary enemy, not heat. That's not to be dismissive of any part of the conversation, but it's to set a foundation for what's actually true. Those are the facts. But it didn't fit her narrative because, you know, there was a heat wave in Europe this summer. Michael Schellenberger, uh, he uh, writes over at his Substack Public, and he's been writing a lot with Matt Taibbi about the Twitter files and this new cyber threat intelligence league uh, uh, censorship industrial complex development. But before that, he was a well-known environmentalist. We've had him on the show before. You may remember a few years ago, he wrote this uh, very uh, interesting, heartfelt apology for his many decades, several decades of environmental activism, saying that while he was attempting to be a proponent of being a good steward of our natural resources and the planet, he had done too much to platform and amplify the fact-free scaremongering, the apocalyptic talk you hear from Secretary of State Kankles and Secretary of State Horseface, uh, what you're hearing from them in Dubai this week. Schellenberger uh, did an uh, interview with Tucker Carlson uh, talking a little bit about that, about sort of the cornerstones of a free and thriving society, cheap energy being one of them. Take a listen. The pillars of civilization are cheap energy, meritocracy, law and order, and free speech. And all yeah. four of those pillars are currently under attack. And so you start with cheap energy. I mean, you can't maintain modern civilization without cheap energy. We couldn't we know we couldn't have had the Industrial Revolution for physical reasons if we hadn't if they hadn't found coal and they hadn't made a use of coal with a steam engine. So the attack on on cheap energy is truly an attack on modern civilization and, and it should frighten us and we should be aware to it and alive to it. I think, you know, what gives me hope here is that, you know, environmentalism, it used to have a kind of utopian positive side. That's all gone. I mean, we saw with Greta Thunberg and Extinction Rebellion. It became very nihilistic. It became very anti-human, so dark. It was basically just about preventing the end of the world, preventing the apocalypse. They used to still try to hide their hatred of humanity a little bit. But this year, I mean, gloves are off and masks are off. And you can just see here they are openly flying their private planes to a climate yeah. conference where they're demanding that ordinary people pay much more for energy, that we keep energy supplies secure. You know, our electric grids right now in the United States, Tucker, are in serious jeopardy. I mean, we're having reliability crises, not just in California. That's the most famous one. But we've seen it all over the country. Texas, 
We yeah. saw it in the in the Midwest and Southeast last year during winter. So every we're, we're seeing an attack on the grid, which is really a testament to modern civilization. It's happening everywhere at the same time, Europe, United States. I, what gives me hope is that I think it's finally becoming obvious to people that it's a scam and that the people that are pushing this really hate civilization, or at least they hate civilization for others. They want it only for themselves and that they're in the grip of a really dogmatic uh, cult philosophy. I mean, I think it's fair to call it a death cult at this point when you're stifling energy supplies that are necessary to keep people alive, allow, us, allow poor people to escape from the use of wood and dung. I don't know what else you call that than an anti-human death cult. That's right. Well, that's, that's what it is. I mean, it literally is. Extinction Rebellion, one of the organizations he mentioned, as we've talked about previously, I mean, they literally want to sunset humanity. You know, it's like saving our democracy. Um, the problem is the people. You've got to save democracy from the people. You also have to save the planet by eliminating the people. It's sort of the same mentality. The people get in the way of their grand plans, the cultist grand plans for heaven on earth. And we're just seeing it play out again. Uh, Kerry, yesterday, continuing his jihad against cheap energy, what Schellenberger was just talking about. To mention that there's only one simple reason we are in the predicament we are in. No rocket science needed, no new algorithm, no mathematician genius. This is happening because we burn fossil fuel unabatedly in the world. And that's what's doing this. Yeah, wow. That's yeah, a, uh -huh. even, 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 even there that draws sort of listless applause. It's like we have to live in the same pablum year after year, conference after conference. And who is he anyway to say, you know, it's like Bill Gates talking about COVID as if he's a doctor and he knows what's best for us just because he has money and power. It's the same thing with this guy, with John well, Kerry. Well, and um, okay, let's say John Kerry's correct. He's not, but let's say that he is. All right. I'll do that hypothetical. So, so it's, a, it's a simple question that uh, we keep posing. Uh, fossil fuels, 80% of the, uh, uh, the responsible for 80% of the energy production in America. How do you want to replace it? How are you going? Not how do, how do you want to? How are you going to replace it? Like hard headed. How are you going to replace it? Not your woozy dreams about a land powered by switchgrass and solar panels. But how are you going to replace it? Just by uh, arbitrarily banning combustion engines? What's the real world answer to that question? They don't have one. They don't have one because there isn't one. Certainly not an anything close to the timelines they're talking about this net zero 2050 no cars in california 2035 they're just making stuff up i mean you talk to climatologists and the complicated uh equation of understanding even what's happening all that we don't know about the climate and by the way my uh uh hour-long interview with judith curry the former head of uh, climate and atmospheric scientist says Georgia Tech drops today. You should check that out. She's oh, yeah. a font of knowledge. Um, and this YouTube, you know, American Greatness website, you, uh, YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, Apple. I mean, just just at least include people who know what they're talking about. And that, that would I'm be nice. I'm going to tell Rick DeMaio to listen to that because we always talk about the climate and 
when I see him once a year, we go back and forth, and I'm just going to have him listen to your podcast and see what he says. Oh, by the way, I mean, it, it is worth noting, too, just in terms of living on the planet, being realistic about these things, you know, being um, problem-solving oriented. I mean, the, the Saudis stood up at that same conference and said, we're not on that program. We're not doing it. Oh, really? I mean, the CHICOMs don't even have to say it. We know what they're doing. And so you can uh, piss and moan about uh, coal-fired plants being coming online in China at the rate of two a year with dozens uh, in, in, uh, planned for activation. Um, and then you look at the developing world and you look at energy-rich countries and they're saying no. So um, because they can't answer that question either, the question I posed to John Kerry. They don't have an answer for it either in addition to, of course, uh, how integral those industries are to their economic vitality. But so you don't have buy-in. And so you're saying, as Schellenberger said to Americans, pay higher energy prices with less reliable energy for no particular reason. That is not a particularly attractive proposition to most sensible people. I, I think I can safely say. But it will persist through this conference. And actually, we're going to talk to Bjorn Lumberg tomorrow, so we'll have a lot more on that. Maybe I'll pull some clips from Judith Curry as well. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. So let's on a humorous note. You know J.P. Sears, the political satirist? Oh, yeah, we've featured him before. He's funny. He is funny. He was he, great uh, during COVID. Oh. He uh, hosts uh, a version of Masterpiece Theater of Swords for the Babylon Bee. And uh, the recent offering uh, is a, a Western featuring the fictional film Biden refers to in order to justify his dog face pony soldier reference. They did a really nice job because they've incorporated so many of other classic lines from the big guy. Take a listen. An old film canister was found on the Warner Brothers lot that contains the trailer for this very film. The reason Biden is the only one who remembers it is because it was only released in Scranton, Pennsylvania for one weekend in 1922, when Biden would have been about 30 years old. And not only does this movie contain the dog-faced pony soldier line, it turns out to be the source of 90% of the nonsense phrases Biden has uttered. Please enjoy this long-lost trailer. Pa! Pa! Someone kidnapped Molly! Corn Pop. Who's Corn Pop? Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. Who's going to stop him? I'm the best qualified people for this job. Tex, you can't go after Corn Pop. He's killed dozens of men. A billion worth. Excuse me. A billion four hundred trillion. Or a million four hundred trillion seven hundred forty million billion. Huh? Two hundred million people have died. Probably by the time I finish this talk. That can't be right. We choose truth over facts. Whatever. My point is, it's too dangerous. 
Why do you care so much about stopping Corn Pop? He poses an Essel Stensis threat, and he's been stroking violence in our cities. If we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Well, don't go alone. At least take Black Pete with you. The great Negro of the time. Thanks. But please, don't say it like that. He looks like LLJ Cool J. The boy's got bigger biceps than my thighs. Don't call him boy. I'll help you capture Corn Pop. But I heard he's in Indian territory. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. No, 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 not that type of Indian. And for Black Pete's sake, don't say it like that. So you think you can stop me just because you teamed up with this kid? Look, fat, poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Oh, hey, don't say it like that. Now hand over, Molly. Oh, I would love to help, but I do not know what happened to Molly. You're a lion dog face pony soldier. <laughs> a what? I don't know what that means. You know what that means? New to me. So, Tex, you got anything you want to say before I kill you? This is the appropriate place to make the speech I'm about to make. Yeah, sure, whatever, just go for it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women created by goat, you know, you know the thing. <laughs> huh? I got hairy legs that turn blonde in the sun. Oh, my people like to play with my hair? The kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down straight and watch the hair come back up again. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping in my lap. <laughs> and I love kids jumping in my lap. Does anybody have any idea what he's talking about? <laughs> so you go ahead. You stack spaghetti sauce in a store. And you control the guy or the woman who brings out the carts on a forklift. What the heck are you talking about, Tex? Tune in to fire pressure. Malarkey, coming soon to one theater in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Very well. That is classic. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.